0: Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
1: You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain.
0: The Great Oz has spoken. Who are
2: you? Oh I, I, I am the Great and powerful
0: Wizard of Oz.
3: Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern-day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me as always is our pastor,
2: Aaron Curran. Thank you for that. That was amazing. I love it because I'm a narcissist. (laughs) Um,
3: Driscoll, I call
2: that. (laughs) In the late... (laughs) So here's the setup for today, and you got to hang with me here for a second because uh, there is a lot of moving parts, a lot of convolution, and um, and to to address the issue at hand, what should Christians do with the rise and fall of Mars Hill? We have to understand like what is going on here. So in the late 1990s, Pastor Mark Driscoll really rose to uh, fame across evangelicalism with the planting of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, no one could have predicted that meteoric rise and colossal cultural impact within Christianity of both Mars Hill and of Mark Driscoll himself, the church planting phenomenon of the early 2000s, the resurgence in gospel-oriented theology, the rise of the celebrity pastor that we all recognize and see today, the recovery in many ways of biblical manhood and perhaps no small amount of some To some degree, toxic masculinity within the church and the birth of missional engagement can all, to some degree, be traced back to the ministry of Mark Driscoll. Mars Hill, the church that Driscoll pastored, blossomed to more than 15,000 regular attenders at its height. The leaders were baptizing hundreds of people every year. The H29 church planting network was born out of this ministry, and Driscoll, among church leaders and churchgoers across America, became a household name. People were snatching up his books. People were listening to his podcast. I think he had the number one podcast on iTunes of, among religion. And, um, but with unchecked power and undeniable skill comes the potential for catastrophic disaster. And that is exactly what happened to Driscoll and Mars Hill among turmoil that had been brewing under the surface for years and years and years. As a matter of fact, I had a coach recently who told me that he coached Dristrel, and Dristrel admitted in 2014 to having been depressed, seriously depressed for a decade. So lots was going on for years and years and years. Um, There were accusations that began to brew and surface against Mark of spiritual abuse, bullying, plagiarism, and more. Mark Dristrel suddenly resigned, Mark in the fall of 2014, citing that God had told him to do this. And the church quite literally imploded with all 15 campuses spread across four states, shutting down or rolling to autonomy by the close of that year, 2014. You might think that was the end of the Mark Driscoll saga that he was done. But in 2016, Mark and his wife Grace moved to Phoenix and launched the Trinity Church in Scottsdale. And now there are these alarming new allegations against Driscoll that are rising from former members of the Trinity Church. There's a podcast from Christianity Today that is exploring the failures of Mars Hill, while another podcast that was put out recently by an investigative journalist is shedding lights on the current turmoil under Dristrel's leadership at his congregation in Arizona. Christians are left in all of this to wade through the mess of celebrity pastors, toxic leaderships, overly sensitive congregants, sin on all sides, and the damage that is being done to the kingdom of God from this chaos. The question emerges for us today to answer, how should we as Christ followers respond to, discuss, and behave in response to Mark Driscoll, the crisis surrounding him, the rise and fall of Mars Hill? And to help us answer those questions, of course, I got um, my stunningly good-looking co-host, Peter. But I, but I also but I also have here on the podcast a couple of good buddies of mine. One is Adam Clark. He's actually the producer, um, the, the, the CEO of Podcast Royale and the producer of Out of Oz a phenomenal guy, uh, went to Master's College, studied under John MacArthur, who has much love for Mark Driscoll. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. But he did, uh, Adam did go to, to Master's College and um, and has a lot, you were influenced significantly in kind of the mid-2000s by Mark Driscoll, as many of us were. Yeah. Um, so, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Oh, Adam, yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. And also okay. have um, Kaith Newbert, uh, who is... Uh, <laughs> who is a part of one of our worship leaders here at Building 28. He's one of our deacons, covenant member. Um, But he also has served on the staff of a couple of men who have been highlighted in these podcasts. James McDonald's staff up at Harvest, uh, formerly, and then also Bill Heibel's staff at Willow Creek. And so Keith has seen firsthand um, some of this abusive leadership and and toxic leadership that has gone on uh, and has much to say on that topic. So welcome on the podcast.
1: Good to be here, I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was New Bear.
2: New Bear.
0: Well, you know
1: that's that's the
3: French.
0: He's a man of many names. When well, I'm feeling French, yeah. Okay. yeah. All
3: right. So this is a for anybody that doesn't know. Even after the monologue, a podcast was done. Yeah, sorry about that. Called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Right. So when you said it, I was thinking, yeah, we could just discuss the actual rise and fall of Mars Hill, or we could discuss the podcast, the rise and fall yep. of Mars Hill. Right. So we're going to try to kind of do both today. The four of us have had a text chain. We've talked a lot about this. We want to bring out. Some of the things that hit us the most and some of the ways that we would encourage other people to look at this, digest this, and think about it. If you haven't listened to the podcast, I do think there's some to learn from it, um, and we'll get into that. But before we do, I'd like to hear from Keith and Adam individually, just kind of your overall takeaway, because Aaron really didn't get into a lot of the facts, if you want to call them that, that came out in the podcast, a lot of the reporting, how the podcast was produced, Adam, and how you kind of feel about that. Um, but let's start with Keith drawing on what you know about the situations personally that were touched on in the podcast and expanded on and compared to Mark Driscoll. Give us some of your just kind of overarching themes and takeaways from listening to the series.
0: Yeah, it's a, this is a tough topic because there is this dichotomy between the aspect of what's being trying to be accomplished with the podcast and what happened with Mars Hill. And in listening to the podcast, there's it's, it's overwhelmingly negative, right? So, you've got to look at the perspective of why is it overwhelmingly negative? Is it overwhelmingly negative because it's a really negative situation or is it overwhelmingly negative because it's attempting to be salacious? And I think both are true. Um, I lived through the reality of The relationship that Mark Driscoll had with James McDonald at Harvest Bible Chapel and the parallels of their – the things that we're learning through this podcast and things I already knew because of their relationship is frightening. I mean, there's some frightening realities to the the decisions that were made at Harvest Bible Chapel and how leadership was handled, how leadership was treated, and how congregants and members and staff were treated to the things that are coming out that – ultimately caused the fall of Mars Hill. The other side of that is the nature of the podcast and the the way that it's being handled and the facts, air quotes, that are being brought to light by people that may or may not be authorities on the topic. And so it's tough to parse through that, which I think is why we're here, which is to try and cut through some of these things, bring reality to light. What can we learn from it? And what do we have to be cautioned right. for. And there's good and bad with the podcast, and there's good and bad from the situation with Mars Hill. There's good and bad with Mark Driscoll going forward. I think Mark Driscoll is certainly gifted. Uh, Mark Driscoll certainly a, a, has been a faithful Bible teacher, and I think we've all benefited from that. But that shouldn't be an excuse for, for sinful behaviors that ultimately crashed and burned a church right. and a movement of churches in that region and, and across the country.
1: Adam? There's no doubt that I'm not a huge fan of this show. Well, of this show you are. Well, just, just not of us. The, <laughs> the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, otherwise known as the Rise and Fall of Critical Thought, maybe, or <laughs> the Rise and Fall of Rationality. Many of these titles would work, I think. Or true
2: investigative journalism. Exactly,
1: yeah. The first couple episodes, I felt depressed about it. I was like, because yes, I have been strongly influenced by Mark Driscoll over the years, I don't have, like, favorites, but he's one of the people. He's one of the people I would follow. Lots happened. Don't always agree with him. But he's been a faithful guy, I think, for the most part. I feel like around episode three or four, it took a turn, and it felt like it was becoming less about what happened here at Mars Hill in Seattle. And in my opinion, it became Christianity Today using Mars Hill and what happened to Mars Hill and School as the vehicle to promote their message And in my opinion, the big issue is that they don't like what Driscoll had to say. His views were conservative, complementarian. They don't like those views. So that's what they're attacking. There are actual issues with Mark Driscoll and his leadership style. There is actual sin that appears to have occurred, but no one's talking about that. So I don't have a lot of respect for that show and how they've gone about it. We don't know how it'll end up. There's five more episodes, but as it is now, there's so many unsubstantiated claims. Cosper will just make these claims and there's no proof to any of this. Yeah. And,
3: and I think that there's no proof to some of it. So anybody that hasn't listened, just generally speaking, right? Because when you hear someone talk about church leaders, when you hear them falling, we, the three of us did a podcast on why some church leaders fall. We talked a lot about the power, the money, the sex aspects of it, right? So for Driscoll, just so everybody knows, the podcast is walking through... His abuse of power basically and his sin of bullying and being verbally abusive, right? He didn't physically abuse anybody. There's no sexual allegations, there's misconduct that we have heard of so far. Most of it is he cussed out somebody, he fired employees because they didn't, you know, they weren't nice enough to him or didn't submit to him. He called it blasphemy, whatever, apparently. Um allegedly, yeah. Allegedly. But yeah. so here's what I'll say. And here's the only pushback I have to. Facts and to unsubstantiated claims. The most damning part of the podcast, which we've already discussed, in my opinion, was him being damned by his own words, right? Saying he would never be a certain way and then literally being that way. Coming out, and I think we got better context, at least timeline wise, of when he fired a couple elders, right? And I want to get into this from some other discussions I had, but. So there were some things that happened behind the scenes and he fires a couple elders, which happens sometimes in churches. We all hate to see it, but sometimes it happens. But then to go on and say, well, a lot of bodies under the bus at Mars Hill, if they don't agree with us, we throw them out and we run them over. We don't care how many bodies run over. You better not get in our way. That's Mark Driscoll's voice saying that, right? So that's the only thing that I'm going to say is fact. And nobody can really argue with that it happened. And that I disagree with and I think is sinful for a head pastor to do, especially in the context of teaching Acts 29 church planters. Because for those of you who don't know, he was the head of that and the driving force behind that. Right. And that's some of the important issues I think we need to talk about. Although a lot of us don't agree with the way the podcast was done. We don't necessarily think it was investigative journalism. Taking one disgruntled employee story and saying, it's fact, I always have an issue with as a lawyer, right? Because just having one person stand up and say something does not mean that it's true, right? We have an entire... Judicial system built around that fact. Yeah. Um. So we all have issues with kind of how it was presented, but then they're not in the court of law, right? They're trying to do their best to present a story. So that's just some factual background about what's being said about Mark Driscoll, right? So I think that, um, as we talk about this, anybody that's following this stuff in the news on Twitter, we talked about John Piper's church. There's lots of churches talked about Bill Hybels, C.J. Mahaney. This is running rampant, it seems, in Christianity in America, right? How do you think this is going to play out? A podcast like this that's getting mainstream popularity, non-Christians love to jump on board. They love to see us divide as a church. They love to see us fight about you know, a house divided, like Abe Lincoln said, applies to Christianity and the big C church. How do you think this is going to affect how Christianity is done in America today?
2: Well, I think Adam Adam already touched on it. Like the death of critical thinking is what, this and countless other podcasts should be named because what happens is and you see it in all arenas of life right now. It, re- it relates to covid. It relates to politics is that people just get fed what they already believe. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. They they hate the fact checkers. And I get it. A lot of the fact checkers don't know the facts either, but but they hate that. But so much of what I hear related to religion, what I what I hear related to to COVID in the world, what I hear related to politics and leaders, whatever, if you check it out, like 90% of it is just false. This is not true anymore, but people don't want to actually put in the time to, to determine that. And so Keith also touched on it, but I think there's a couple factors at play that that what this does, and really what we're doing today, at least what I hope to accomplish is um, look at this one instance in particular, Mars Hill, uh, Christian Day podcast, but then apply it across Christianity. Um, Are there legitimate issues with Mark Dristrel, with James McDonald, with Bill Hybels that spill out to – so many pastor leaders today, myself included. Sure, like the the reality is, we're broken people. Driscoll made a lot of mistakes. He said a lot of things, no doubt tongue in cheek, that were taken seriously. He said a lot of things he should have never said, like bodies under the bus. And by God's grace, there's gonna be a lot more bodies under the bus. You just can't say that, even if it's like halfway joking around. You can't say that. And then he put a bus out in front of his new church, like there's stuff like that where you're just like, bro, like that is that's like you know, that's
3: like a that's a absolute pride issue, yeah, asking yes. for it. Yeah. Like you're a jerk. You don't need to be a jerk. So, Even if you're right, don't yeah. be a jerk. So we were talking
2: about right before this podcast though, because every pastor in the world, every leader in the world is flawed. You can just very easily take every pastor. You can take John Piper and you can take Tim Keller. You can take, you know, Josh Harris, who's now an atheist, but was a former pastor. You can take Driscoll. You can take me. You can take pastors of medium sized, small churches, and you just kind of throw them all in the same bucket as sinners. And kind of broad brush them all. And I think that everybody has to be looked at individually. And that's what's not happening a lot of times. I think also in conjunction with that is the reality because pastors are flawed, there's a lot of prejudice. That's why Paul actually warns against that in 1 Timothy, do nothing, take no accusations against an older pastor with any prejudice, which I think is what's happening with CT podcast is clearly Cosper and others at Christianity Today do not like Mark Driscoll. They just don't like him. And so they're taking as substantiated claims his former media director, his a former pastor without getting Stories that actually would substantiate or fly in the face of these claims, you know, and I think thirdly, and this is something Adam and I especially have talked about is it's so easy now with all that's going on in the world to take issues with the pastor, send struggles with the pastor, prejudice against him from people that he's offended rightfully, wrongfully, whatever, and then to sneak in an agenda under the surface, which I think also is what Christianity Today, which Adam touched on, is doing. But that applies across the board of Christianity. For example, people looked at Donald Trump and they're like, I hate the way he acts, which means that conservative values are bad. And it's like, no, 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 hold on. We have to divorce those two things. Like bad behavior doesn't necessarily mean that the position that someone takes is bad. For Driscoll, just because he did some things that were wrong does not mean that his reformed position uh, soteriologically or his complementarian position were wrong. And that's what it feels like is that they're using some of his bad behavior to try to unravel biblical positions that he held for progressive agenda. That's trouble.
3: So Keith, when you see what's happening now, And you can kind of relate it back to some problematic situations that were true. What do you think just when you see what's happening now and how widespread it is? Do you think we're missing the boat as Christians? Do you think we're trying to find it in our pastors? Or do you think this reform needs to happen?
0: I think it's both. I mean, both are true, right? There are guys out there that are bad pastors. They're not actually pastoring their churches. They're gifted communicators who have a platform who have abused that platform and are taking it out on their people, right? That, that's just, that's factual. There are those guys out there. And
3: they're not qualified to be they're pastors. They're not qualified. Right. Yeah,
0: they're flat out not qualified. It happens. You know, there is a component biblically of pastorship that requires shepherding. And if you're leaning hard into the, well, they're a good communicator – but they're a terrible pastor. They're a terrible shepherd of the people and they don't care about the people. They're not a pastor. They're not qualified to be a pastor because I'll tell you right now, if it's all about being a good communicator, get rid of them. Let's hire Denzel Washington. Let's teach him a little bit of theology to preach on Sunday. And he's going to do a better job than any pastor that's a preacher that we've got. (laughs) That's true. We can't afford. No, but the reality is like there's a shepherding component that makes you a pastor. And if they're not doing that, then they're not qualified. If they're abusing their people, they're not qualified. Now, the flip side of that is we use these kinds of situations with the rise and fall of Mars Hill and the podcast and the ominous tone of it to paint our pastors into that box. And we have to use critical thinking to vet those things. I know we're 160 character Twitter culture and all, but it takes five seconds of research to start to dismantle some of the approach of this podcast. For instance, on the episode of The Things We Do to Women, uh, Mike Cosper uses an interview with Jessica Johnson, who's a professor of religious and anthropological studies at William and Mary College. And on the William and Mary webpage, there's an article about her that says, I'll quote it, Professor Jessica Johnson doesn't call herself a Christian, period. So we can, we can start there, right? Yet three to four times a week, Every week for two years, she entered into an overwhelmingly complex and often problematic world of a contemporary megachurch in Seattle, Washington. Fill in the blank of what that is. She did so not as a worshipper, but as an anthropologist conducting what is known in her field as participant observation. So this whole use of her throughout that podcast is based on the testimony of a non-believer attesting to the behaviors of a church. Now. I don't know all of our listeners, but I hope, I hope that there's a tiny fraction of critical thinking that can parse that out and go, how can I take that as value? And that's the only way That's one. what we
3: call bias in the yeah. law. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, she's going looking for that, you know, just, which again, doesn't make it not true, but again, we should be able to weigh that and, as and, people and, with and brains and common sense and, and logic. The
0: problem with that is the direct response to that is, well, now what is being said that's true? And you discount, and you said this earlier, what the real problems are that we're avoiding by bringing in all of this stuff to paint a salacious picture of what's actually going on. That's patently unhelpful across the board. It damages the church and it doesn't solve the real problem or at least address the real problem.
1: To be fair to Mike Cosper and Christianity Today, I think that episode in particular was the most egregious example of their sort of Trojan horse, you know, yes. of all the episodes. But I feel like they, they've they done that so much that it's hard to take it seriously for me. And I worry that people listen to this show and they're not going to go to the college website. Right. They're not going to think this woman is not even a Christian. They built this whole episode around her, quote, reporting. And then they accuse Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill of promoting a rape culture within the church. I mean, those are really strong words to throw around when there is not a single case or accusation of anything like that. It it, It just blows my mind. People listen to this, they're going to walk away going, Mark Driscoll, and therefore anyone associated with Mark Driscoll, Acts 29, Building 28, Aaron Curran, all of us are now promoting rape culture because we're okay with Mark Driscoll and he did that there. And we only know this because of the way they conveyed this information in that episode. And to me, that's just really frustrating. Yeah,
3: I agree. And I think you make a good point, right? So the connection with Acts 29, which we talked about a little bit, yeah, Billing 28's in the network and there is a connection to Mark Driscoll, even though he's kind of gone, yeah. right? He They're not even in Acts 29, right? No, no, not at all. So his new church. So, but there is that connection. So how does that affect how billing 28 looks at acts 29 how other churches should look at acts 29 how members of churches that are in that network do we you know agree with and and succumb to all the driscollites and everything that driscoll stands for or how does that work now
2: yeah so acts 29 was founded really as a brotherhood by driscoll in the around 2005 2006 somewhere in there and i have a lot of friends who were in the network from that point. And they said it was more like a brother. It wasn't, it was for church planters, but it wasn't a church planting organization as much. Uh, in 2012, Matt Chandler became president of ACH 29. He came out with the four hallmarks, which I think is, I think is really important for anybody who's exploring ACH 29. The core values of A29 now under Chandler since 2012 for the last nine years have been planting churches that plant churches, pursuing holiness and humility being a radically diverse and global community and praying for conversions to evangelism. So he reoriented the whole network. We did not actually come into and partner with the network until 2014, which is the year that Mars Hill was actually booted out of the network by the network and then shut down later that year. And so actually 29 has distanced itself. Even though he was the founder of H29, Dristrel was, H29 has distanced itself, doesn't have a lot of correlation connection to Mark Dristle or Mars Hill anymore. But those are questions actually that have come in from people here at our church asking about that and how it affects. And I think to Adam's point, it does affect us because even though there's been a disassociation from Mark Dristle for nine years, almost a decade with H29, people don't do the homework to, to realize that there's there's no connection. Now, Dristle himself doesn't even really call himself reformed anymore or from what I know, complementarian, really. Uh, he doesn't really take those hard lines as much um, at Trinity Church. And so there's there's really in theologically or in affiliation, there's not any connection to Mark Driscoll.
3: From your perspective, either of you, going to a church that's in the Acts 29 network, do you care that it had a connection to Driscoll, that he started it? I mean, the missionaries that Driscoll supported while he was a pastor at Mars Hill, are we supposed to say, cut them off? They were supported by Mars They were supported by Mark Driscoll. Everything they touch must be horrible. How do you look at that as just members of a church that's within the X-29 network?
0: I don't have a problem with any of those connections. The origin isn't really relevant. I think he started Acts 29 from a from a good perspective and a good rationale. I think it's been uh, redeemed from some of the, the Mark Driscoll concerns over the years. I, frankly, I have bigger concerns with X-29 now for different unrelated reasons (laughs) than I do anything having to do with with Mark Driscoll.
3: Substance issues, right? Which are actually important, not stuff
0: that doesn't matter. Absolutely. And I think you could say that about any affiliation with any denomination or organization. There's going to be people that are a part of that that you look at and go, ugh, that's a problem. That doesn't necessarily represent the organization. I don't don't think it matters unless it becomes the, the majority of... Of what it's about and the promoted mission is something that's antithetical to to scripture.
1: I don't see Acts 29 overall as a negative. I don't even see Mark Driscoll overall as a negative. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's clearly made mistakes, but... Why would we toss it all out? I would associate with Acts 29. I would associate with Mark Driscoll. His legacy has been positive. In my life, I think in Acts 29's life, in the history of the church planning in the last 20 years, those core messages of training men, focusing on calling men to be men and lead their families and a focus on expository, biblical teaching, those core things, why would we want to distance ourselves from?
3: So, and I I think that's important to make that distinction. So, Later on in the podcast, we'll talk about whether or not we think Mark Driscoll is disqualified to be a pastor now, right? So I want to yeah. kind of hold that thought of where he is currently. And I want to differentiate in the three of your minds, somebody who is a pastor and has used their influence, their power, the money they've gotten from book deals to perpetuate sexual misconduct or use it fraud, you know, get funneling money to themselves throughout their entire Time serving as a pastor, right? So there's that bucket. And then there's someone who, at least from, I even think in the podcast, they say this. In the beginning, Driscoll was different, right? He had a mission. He was trying to do that. He continued to press forward the way that he felt was best for that mission, right? He made mistakes. He sinned. It blew up in his face. But I don't think that Driscoll's plan, at least even from the podcast or everything that we know, that he was perpetuating all this so that he could bully people. You know, that was a something that happened, not necessarily the plan or the goal. How do you differentiate that and how we use his past sermons, what we've learned from him? So many pastors in my life, including Aaron and including one of the pastors I loved from college, have a Driscoll type of preaching that's super engaging, great communicators, but it also includes making fun of young guys sometimes. Like, come on. Step up, step up to the plate like that. When I was in college and stuff, that hit me, you know, and it was, there was a lot of don't be stupid, don't be worthless, be a man of the Bible, be a man of conviction, you know, that type of thing that they were condemning from Driscoll. Yeah. They were saying he was demasculating. Is that the word? Emasculating, whatever. They were saying like, that's so horrible. How could he say that to guys? I think a lot of times guys need that. Some people disagree. So how do you think someone like Driscoll, how can we look back, like Adam said, on his previous sermons, on books that he's written that can be positive. How do you how do you look back on that?
2: So uh, honestly, I look, I mean, I look at Robbie Zacharias, even somebody who clearly the substance is there that he fell, that he was involved in sexual sin. And I To told, me, that's harder though. And I agree that, like, if you have a check in your conscience, I just can't read anything from Robbie, I can't watch him anymore. That's fine. It, to me, it doesn't negate the fact that he was still speaking the truth. And so you should still learn from him, you should still read his books. With Driscoll, obviously. You know, sin is sin, but socially speaking, his sin was not nearly as socially egregious as Robbie Zacharias, um, or disqualifying, in my opinion. And so, but you look back and you go, okay, he was he was brash, he was arrogant, sometimes he was demeaning, he was being recorded six times a weekend. Um, every interview he did, every conference he spoke at, I mean everything. He was constantly on a mic. And so they took a collection of 15 years worth of. Uh, audio recordings, and were able to pick out a lot of some stuff, like Adam said, that wasn't negative. Actually, that he said just teachings that he had about manhood and about men leading their calling families. Calling out and, universalism, yeah, yeah, calling out universalism, and like, but they kind of lumped that in with some of his some of his narcissism, bullying, bad behavior, whatever that he need to repent of, and that he's admitted at different junctures in his ministry that he has repented of and that, you know, he has sought humility. I know C.J. Mahaney's book on humility was a big impact on Driscoll back in 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. So all that to say, I think uh, this is difficult for me because um, a man's – if a man's sin disqualifies him from ministry and keeps his his preaching, his teaching, his writing from going out and impacting people – then no one's going to have an influence. And so we have to, once again, I know we keep going back here, we have to apply critical thought to this and say... You know, Is it just something that they're struggling through, like it, that they've had anger issues, they go through a dark season, they go through a rough time, they get mad, they say something they shouldn't have, but they apologize, confess, repent of that, which I know we've talked about, Pete, is like a big thing in this. Where is that from James McDonald? Where is that from Bill Hybels? Where is that even publicly from Mark Driscoll? Because if somebody has admitted that, confessed that, repented of that, and been restored from that that lends a lot more credibility to their teaching. But I don't think we can just, once again, look at all these different people. I would have a hard time listening to or reading anything by James McDonald now. Like, from what I have seen, that has been substantiated through the Roy's report and other sources, I would have a hard time with that because it's, it's hard to believe that he actually bought what he was teaching in a in a full That's way. what
3: I feel about Ravi. Like yeah. how you can preach and teach something sure. and then go and do what he was doing versus like Driscoll, I can understand. He's like getting hyped up. He's on stage. Yeah. He gives an hour and a half sermon and he goes at back and he's just like killed it, you know, but he's still like, he's not yeah. preaching against saying that he's the, the most humble guy in the and world. that's a
2: fair point about Ravi. Like, that's I think what I'm saying.
3: That's the hard thing for me to get yeah. over with Ravi is like, how can you, like, preach all this? And then I'm thinking, like, for years, he's going back and just abusing these women and abusing his position. And it's just like, I that's think, so much
2: harder To that me. point, I think, I think the subject matter is important, too. Yes. Like, when we're dealing with apologetics, like Ravi oh, yeah. dealt with. Like that—that that is different than when you're dealing with James McDonald. A lot of his was on leadership structure and how to lead well and how to build a big church and the way he went about that. Robbie's apologetics were sound. James McDonald's leadership structure was not, and so there, there's and a I lot think of there that. Are issues through. with
3: some of Mark Driscoll's planting structure, sure, based on sure, and, yeah. and just one point before we get because I want to hear what you guys say about this as well. Just because you're recorded all the time, six times a week, as I've said this in our text messages, yeah. so you already know what I'm going to say. Just because you record all the time, first off, he welcomed it and actually looked for bigger and bigger stages with a bigger audience, more people to listen to every word he was saying. You shouldn't have that stuff recorded of you saying. You shouldn't say that stuff. The Bible's clear about our tongues and our mouths. You shouldn't say that stuff for any reason. Like- I, so, there's plenty of stuff so, he said he should have never said. I don't yeah. care if
2: he was recorded 24 I, I 100% hours ago. agree with that. There's there's a dozen sound bites right. throughout the podcast. that are just – they're highly offensive. A dozen sound bites that he should have never said from 15 years of being constantly recorded. Like if we were constantly recorded, I'm pretty sure somebody could pick out a dozen sound bites from me that I should have never said – a lot of the other stuff. Then what they do is they're they're taking these sound bites and they're going to the media director and he's like, yeah, I sat down in a van with him in Indonesia and he and he was like, I'm kind of a big <laughs> deal and and I don't think I he was joking. I, I don't think he was joking. Was like, like, I was yeah. the guy. i like, was the guy, Adam, that put the first <laughs> yeah. MP3 on. Remember when we talked about that? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like stuff like that. Though, is what I'm saying is yes, what he said these these dozen or fifteen or twenty things were egregious, and if your pastor is doing that, that you should never make excuse for that sin. But then you shouldn't just like. Because they said one or two or, or a dozen things that are egregious over the course of a decade, you shouldn't just make all these other assumptions connect. We drove up and he's saying this really nice hotel. What if he paid for that himself and and you didn't pay for yours? So they're putting you in a flea-ridden hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like Stuff like that where I'm just like, come on, man. And, and to Adam's point, Cosper is going, this really happened. We don't know if that really happened. This is one person's opinion who's clearly – quite livid at Driscoll, doesn't like Driscoll, doesn't respect Driscoll. And so that's why we have to make this distinction. Like, was there sin? Yes. We can't just make assumptions.
3: So Adam, I think you your position is going to be absolutely, you can still use all of his books and resources and, and preaching. So tell us why you feel that way, even after what we know or what we think we know.
1: I would say though, that wouldn't be just related to Driscoll. Mm -hmm. I would say that across the board, if the teaching is sound, then use it. And depending on your context and circumstance, you might not be able to use all of it. You might have to do it in a certain way. I'm sure there are situations because of people who have been influenced by Driscoll or McDonald's, you said, and Highwolf and some of these others, where you couldn't do a series and go through one of their books or something because there's direct connections that would cause offense or problems. So context matters, obviously. But just evaluating the truthfulness, the rightfulness of his books, his teaching, not all of it, I haven't listened to all of it, but the majority of it, especially from a decade ago, I would have no problem with because I feel like it's biblically sound.
2: And, and you know, the very first episode of the Mars Hill podcast, they were like, we should also be looking at ourselves and how we keep kind of idolizing and worshiping guys like this and giving them their platform. And. But then I, I personally, and maybe it's from the perspective of being a pastor, I don't feel like there's been very much culpability on the part of the, other than so some people going, oh, I feel I feel bad that I. Yeah, transition, because <laughs> like, that was going to be my yeah. question
3: for Keith. So to get us into the next kind of part of the podcast, which I know we're getting close, but as a leader in the church, as men in the church, as covenant members of a church where you submit to an elder board and a pastor, what is our responsibility? Right, So when you look at this, because I think that's what I think people should listen to this. And I think you can learn from if you can sift through the weeds and not hate Mars Hill and condemn uh, Driscoll to hell and everything he did, just put it away. But just think about it critically as men in the church, leaders in the church, covenant members of a church. What do you do? What can we take from this? What can we learn from this? Because they do have culpability. They are responsible. So is Driscoll. And they should have done a lot more, in my opinion. So how do you look at it? And what have you learned from kind of your own experience, right? Because you went through it yeah. and hearing how it went for these guys.
0: I chafe badly at the terms like, look at the fruit. Because you can you can use those metrics all day long. Well, look at how many people got saved. Look at how many people got baptized. Look at how many people we've added to the church. Look at how many people are being reached. You can look at all those things. That's great. What's the context for how that happened, right? And that was used at Harvest as a manipulative tool with the staff and the leadership to keep them in tow, to keep them working despite the abuses. And when it came down to when my family and I left Harvest, we left because James McDonald was manipulating scripture to achieve an agenda that was – known because I was in that circle to to see the reality behind the curtain, what was going on, but abusing things like Malachi 3 and reorienting the purposes of that scripture to suit a financial goal that he had in mind. And when you start to see those things happening and you start to see living and preaching and behaving outside of the tenets of scripture, it's a pretty big warning sign, right? The flip side of that is how much are we reading into the little things that we try and label a tag on to try to disqualify pastoral staff? And I, I probably said this in the other podcast, but I have this problem with the idea that we as members and congregants can look at our pastor's failures and not tolerate them, not tolerate sin while we're looking past our own and committing the same sins, probably in the process of, of blaming and pointing the finger at them and not applying that same rule to ourselves. And what it really comes down to is repentance. You know, I think one of the things with Driscoll that we have seen is he did coming out of the collapse of Mars Hill. There was signs of repentance. There was signs of change in behavior. Was it complete? I don't know. I'm not a part of that church. I can say James has never repented. He's dug his heels in and blamed and excused, and I think that's a very clear sign. Um, but repentance is a, a, a timely process, right? It doesn't. You can say, I'm sorry, you can apologize, you can stand before a congregation and admit your sin, but how is that playing out over time? Is there really heart change? Is there really behavior change? And you can't look at an instance of 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 failure in sin even after repentance and go, oh, there it is again.
3: No, I, yeah, I agree. and And it's to be expected that we're sinful, we sin every day, right? That's not just like a saying that actually happens. So, Aaron, what do you expect and encourage yeah. and hope for out of – because obviously there are obvious warning signs. We've talked about this a lot as we have together listened to the podcast. We know how you look at Driscoll and how you guard against those things and having some yeah. similar – um, you know, very gifted speaker, but also a very powerful personality. But what do you expect from elders and leaders in your church to do and to think, and what would you encourage other leaders and elders and other churches to do to help their pastors come alongside and try to guard against us as opposed to waiting till you walk off the cliff and be there to celebrate yeah, when you
2: do? Yeah. Um, obviously being a lead pastor that has had a church that has grown, hopefully, in our love for Christ and mission, but also numerically, quite significantly over the last 10 years, there's a unique perspective that's here. What I expect from people in Christianity and what I hope for are two very different things. And maybe that's my cynicism. But what I would hope for is that all of us, pastors, elders, people, would actually show the grace to others without, without abandoning biblical, this is wrong. We can't, we can't just excuse things, but that we would show the grace to others that we have been exhibited. By Christ toward us, that He has forgiven us immensely, that we'd be able to ascend that. I know that's difficult, but that we would do that. That would be the hope. The expectation is you just look around and you're in Christianity long enough and you're like, it's a mess. Like it's a mess. Dristrol's a mess. McDonald's a mess. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. But the night that we actually first start talking about this, Keith and I. We were out having a beer together and started talking about Mars Hill and Harvest and James McDonald, Mark Driscoll. And I just kind of brought up and I probably was uh, probably was a little vulnerable in exposing myself as far as going, I just, I hate this podcast because it's so easy for people just to throw darts today. Even last night, I got an email that came in, of somebody questioning my motives of praying over the military who were killed in Afghanistan this week. And I'm, I'm just going, it's so easy just to throw, shoot arrows and fire darts. Um at pastors and at leaders with no recourse. Like there's nothing happens when your claims aren't true or substantiated or nothing, nothing happens to Mike Cosper or any of these people who rise up with all these accusations. And so for me, um, it, it makes you, if you're not careful, it makes you jaded. And that's why it's important to have good accountability and good leaders around you. But I would hope that, that, elder pastors. And I can say our elder pastors here at Building 20 right now are phenomenal. They're they're great. Our leadership is really solid. But you would hope that there would be more culpability taken on by these guys around Mark Driscoll or James McDonald. Got, like, other than just being like, hey, 14 years removed from a situation, they wrote a letter saying, hey, I'm sorry it went down like this. You would hope that they would rise up on a podcast like this and go, we really screwed up. Like, We gave them way too much autonomy, way too much authority, way too much, hey, here you go, Like, do whatever you want. And then we almost in a some sense applauded when he fell over the cliff. Like you're talking about that is, that's not biblical. That's not healthy. That does not, that's not kingdom advancing at all. Like elders need to do a better job of actually caring for. And and we've talked about this on our podcast as well, but accountability from an elder board or from leaders or from friends even is not just being like, Hey Pete, you suck. Like you need to get it together. It is caring for the person and speaking hard truth when you have to, but it's also just caring. And that's what shepherds doing. I don't, if I'm honest, I Not excusing any of Dristral's sin. I don't think from everything we've seen that that was done for Dristral. I don't know about McDonald or Hybels or any of these other guys.
3: So one of the parts of the episode that hit me the most that I felt was like so much misery and so much sadness for the church was when one of the other elders, one of the founding guys, I think when they were basically like fired, the two guys under the bus, right? That episode when it actually gave context to that. And he was there and he was interviewed and he was talking about baptizing his daughter. And just like Keith just baptized his daughter the other week, you know, and my daughter was baptized and it's just, and yours, all of our daughters (laughs) were baptized at the same time. So, so to just like to feel that and to hit that and to see all the good that was being done and then to hear them say stuff like, you know, we had these problems, but we kept quiet and then it ended up happening. And so he was able to tell the church and I'm thinking. Any of us that have been in leadership positions can see how that happens, right? You have an issue, you talk about it, but you don't actually say anything because you don't want to cause any waves. You don't bring it up. You don't, you want to keep your position, things are going well. Well, look at all the good that's being done. Like you said, you tell yourself that stuff. Sometimes we as leaders have to do the hard thing, right? And the little white lies, I talked to one of our other elders about the little white lies and how you can say you're doing it for the right reason, but you always in the end, like it comes out and it ends up hurting you and you're just building a facade in a house of cards that's going to get blown over. And that's what happened to these elders. They were saying they had all these issues with Driscoll, but they never actually brought him out. They never actually tried to do the right thing about him, which would have been bring them to Driscoll's attention, bring them to in an open meeting with the elders so we can all kind of discuss this or more than one person. So there couldn't be a, that's blasphemy because you're coming against me as the pastor. And they never did that. And that's why it blew
0: up in their face, in, in my opinion, and that's why it
3: wasn't ever corrected because they never did anything
0: about it. Well, I think the challenge that you've got is it's it's not like a nuclear bomb being dropped in the middle of an elder meeting that's like, oh, well, well I guess we have to deal with that. It's, oh, it's Driscoll's the... a little
3: bit of a bully. Wow, right. that's shocking. None right. of us saw that coming.
0: <laughs> right. It's the slow buildup that, you know, you've got to have a plurality of wisdom that are attuned to the warning signs. And, you know, it's... Uh, I forget what the what the little elder book is that Nine Marks put out, but, you know, it's it's this idea of how elders and leaders come around together to celebrate in the victories, to build into one another, to have the relational capital, to see the warning signs and deal with them early enough on so that it doesn't turn into a Driscoll, Mars Hill, melting down and 20 churches disband overnight kind of scenario. And. I think that's the problem is a lot of lay leaders out there, they're not looking for the warning signs. They're sitting back with their feet up saying everything's okay. Yeah. And it and isn't I'm a okay. I'm
3: part of the cool kids circle in this well, church. It, you know, it's we, like, sure, whatever the motivation is, how are members supposed to know Driscoll gets up and says insubordination or whatever he says, the elders are gone. I get in front of you every day and preach. You trust me. You believe what I say. How is this a normal church member then supposed to try to see if they believe these other elders that are equal and we submit to them too, but it's like. Driscoll's the guy we hear every week, and he's telling us this. Are we supposed to believe he's lying? Screws it up for just your average churchgoer, I think, too, don't you think?
1: Yeah. To me, it comes across as very arrogant. And they were kind of making fun of him, like, oh, he's a nobody. He's just a pastor. What one of us would want our entire lives, our parenting, our marriage skills, everything we've ever said, everything we tweet, how we drive, what stores we go to— all of that to be evaluated and judged on a day-to-day basis by a thousand people and all their opinions are coming at you like they matter. Those opinions don't matter. I mean, it gets me really frustrated. They don't They don't matter. Maybe they do and I'm just overreacting, but <laughs> um, it just gets me really frustrated. Like this is my takeaway from the show. We need to be more careful. We just have to be sure that our heart's in the right place and we're after the truth. And we're not trying to promote an agenda. And we also have to focus on personal holiness. Like, I I don't think... I mean, I'm a jerk every week. I just don't have to have 15,000 people hear it and then be able to call me on you it 10 years later. You're
3: qualified to be a pastor.
2: And, and you're not becoming famous for being, Just part of Driscoll's fame was clearly his skill and his yeah. knowledge, but also that he was the super edgy. Pastor, I mean, he whatever. he was the Trump of evangelicalism in, in many yeah. respects. Uh, he, he would just say whatever he needed to say and and people liked that. And they even, I guarantee you, even some of these people who are now deriding him like the fact, they even admitted, some of them even admitted, They're like, that was kind of cool that like he would just be like he would make fun of evangelicals and he would make fun of progressive Christianity and he would make fun of feminized Christianity. And that was cool for us. And now we hate him for it. You know, like like that was that was part of it. And so when you're being fed that and there's not somebody around you to keep you accountable and be like, hey, no, that was too far. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. And you can do it. People think they can't
3: do it. They think they can't do it to pastors like Driscoll. You can. You just have to actually do it because if you never do it, then you can't. Cause once he's been there for 15 years in the same, you know, the same soup is being stirred. Now it's a lot harder, but if you have that opportunity, you have the relationship you can, and you have to do it. So Adam, I want to get to opinions that don't matter here to finish the podcast, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is our four
3: opinions. And I want to judge Mark Driscoll and determine whether or not we think he's qualified to be a pastor. I think there's an, there is an important conversation to be had. And I know there's some stuff going on with Piper's church right now. And he said, You know, he posted some tweet about not gossiping and slander and everybody slammed him for it saying, oh, when it's about you, we can't say it. But I think that what makes it not gossip or slander or just a hit piece is we're trying to learn from it, right? So when we look at Driscoll now, do we think, and each one of you can go, we'll start with Aaron, do you think he's still qualified to be a pastor and why? And I wanted to look through the lens of redemption and how we get redeemed and how pastors get redeemed and can get back into leadership roles.
2: Um, I'll just I'll start by saying there's a few things I wish Driscoll would do. I wish he would take an interview and actually talk through some of this stuff because he hasn't done that and that's that's bewildering to me. If all these attacks were coming at me or any of us, I think, and we had a public public platform, I'd I'd probably take an interview and talk to people and have others kind of I I could pull on dozens of people who would go, Hey, Aaron went through a season. He's changed. Like you know, he he repented. Like like people that would actually kind of substantiate that there's good movement and these are outliers. Uh, you haven't seen that. I would also love, I, I love Mark Dristrow. Like I really love Mark Dristrow. I've had some interactions with Mark. Um, I would love to see like a public acknowledgement, especially in light of Mars Hill podcast. Hey, I, I, these, these certain things were sin. This was sin. This is not, this was not, this was a matter of maybe not, maybe lacking wisdom, just some, some type of acknowledgement. Um, and that plays into, is he still qualified? Look, there are clearly some positions that Dristra was taking now that I don't agree with. That doesn't mean he's disqualified. Um, like I've said earlier, I'm ardently reformed. He's not really reformed anymore. He's kind of mocked that, that reformed people just follow a bunch of old dead guys. Um, and, um, and I get it. He's jaded from how Ash-29 and some of the reformed crowd treated him back in 2013, 2014 when all this stuff blew up. I get it. Um, not right, but I understand. And so, and there's other positions like he does not have church membership at his church now. A guy who was such elders. a big proponent or elders. Or any so he have an accountability elder. at yeah. all. So, so does that mean he's disqualified? No. But do I disagree with that? Would I be uncomfortable going to his church because of those things? Yeah, I would be uncomfortable going there. That doesn't mean I won't listen to him, but putting myself under his leadership and shepherding that's different. I don't think from what has actually, and this is what's important for us, what has actually been substantiated according to first Timothy chapter five. I don't think that he has disqualified himself. Maybe if we're talking back six, seven years ago, 2013, 14, maybe yes, then. But as far as now, he he admits, hey, I made mistakes, and he did have like a semi-apologetic repentance letter to Mars Hill in August of 2014 um, that he had made mistakes and tried to take some culpability for that. Uh, I know that. I know how difficult being on this side of the curtain that would be for him to do when he knows there's other people at fault as well. Um, And so he did do that. And so in his mind, he probably has a clear conscience before the Lord. And now he's trying to pastor to Trinity Church. And really, the accusations at Trinity Church have been pretty marginal at best, in my opinion, listening to the Roy's report. Um, They weren't. I mean, it's like. Oh, he, you know, he called himself a celebrity or, you know, I mean, just like kind of dumb stuff that's matters of opinion. Um, so I, I would hold the opinion that I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable going to his church, but I don't think he has disqualified himself. And I think it's also important to note that his family loves him. And that's huge. That's huge. He's never been accused of financial misconduct and all that. I mean, other than the whole like taking private planes. and Well, stuff. And, and the book sales thing, which actually came out that it was affirmed more by his elder board. And then by him, the whole New York Times bestseller, and he's he's never been accused of infidelity. His wife loves him. All of his children are part of his church. That should speak volumes when we kind of start to look at the evidence surrounding this issue. So
3: what do you
0: think? When
2: Mars Hill was growing, one of the things that Mark condemned
0: was the idea of pastor as CEO. And rode that pretty hard that, you know, you don't lead a church as the CEO. That's not what it's for. Jesus is our pastor. I'm just here to teach. That was his mantra. Yet now he doesn't have membership. He doesn't have an elder board. He isn't submitting to leadership in a conventional biblical way. That would cause concern with me to where I can't say whether he's disqualified or not because I'm not in that church. But I can tell you I wouldn't go to that church because I don't believe it's a biblical structure. And if you're not submitting to a biblical structure, it's not a place that I think is ultimately going to be the healthy, God-led biblical environment that is what church should be.
1: Okay. Adam, what do you think? Just like you and Aaron just said, the some of the positions he's taken now don't agree with theologically. Some of the stuff he's even said back then about hearing voices from God telling him what to do. Like I always thought that was kind of weird. And I he mean just so happened
3: to also fall in line with what he wanted to <laughs> do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's nice it's <laughs> yeah. I personally don't think that stuff uh,
2: occurs. You didn't look at Justin and go, God told me to marry you.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow. uh, yeah.
2: That's because he went to masters.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my takeaway is we have to be careful of factionalism. You know, this is who I listen to. This is my favorite. Paul talks about that in First Corinthians. We have to search things out. We have to verify what we're hearing. We have to not marginalize scripture. How many times in this podcast has Cosper made a claim and said, here's my biblical support for this claim? Yeah. Any times? I, think I don't know zero. if he's made any times, if there's ever been a reference to a passage or anything. So not forgetting that. Keeping the main things the main things. I like Mark Driscoll. I have been strongly influenced by him. I would still read his books. I would still promote his teaching. I don't think he's disqualified, but I'm the least qualified person to make that statement right. at the table, I think. <laughs> so So, <laughs>
3: so I, I didn't mean right to that. Um, he did cite, I kissed dating goodbye though. So that, that was a, an important, that was a really important piece of literature oh, for yeah. him. Was- so I would just say, and I know none of us want to say he's disqualified, right? And especially after Adam's comment that none of us are really qualified to say he's disqualified, especially me. But I... I I've heard Aaron say it, and I think we all, I don't know if we all agree, so I'm just going to speak for myself that in 2013 or 2014, he was disqualified. I literally don't think I've seen anything from my point of view to say that he's changed one bit from them. I think everything Keith said about his church is evidence that he's exactly the same, if not worse, because now he doesn't even want to have the appearance of accountability, even though we all assume that it didn't exist back then, at least at a certain point, it didn't exist. So that's my issue. That's my rub. If we're going to call, this abusive power, abusive authority, bullying, jerk, a disqualification for a pastor. I think that he would still be in that category from someone who does not know him personally. I'm just saying from a bird's eye view of what I'm, I'll just say this, if it was Aaron and Aaron was a certain way in 2013, and this is how Aaron was setting up his life. Now I would say he's still disqualified, you know, being in a closer relationship with them. I obviously don't have that with Driscoll, but I'm just saying from the information that we have, I feel like I would feel pretty strong. And the fact that at least three of us would not go to his church. It sounds like you wouldn't either for the theological reasons. Like none of us would go to his church either. So it's like,
2: I think it's important to point out that, and something we had discussed in the past was that Paul Tripp actually went to advise his elder board. That was huge 14. for me. That was a that, that is substantiated. He lived there. He worked with them. And he walked away saying, I divorced myself from this. It is the most toxic, abusive structure of leadership in a church I have ever seen. You can find the exact quote. And so that type of thing makes me believe. And then his elders, to their credit, they waited way too late. But in, I think, August of 14, after his like six-week sabbatical, they put together a restoration plan. They said, you're not fit to do this right now. And he rejected that, said that God spoke to him and told him to leave Marseille, which is fishy and weird, right? And then he went and a year and a half later planted Trinity Church in Strasdale. All of that does not sit well with me. I'm not close enough to the situation, and because there wasn't something as brazen as infidelity or extortion or something like that going on, I can't say for sure that he was disqualified. Maybe he just needed a restoration plan, but all of that does not sit well with me, and clearly something needed to happen at Mars Hill. And to your point, it would seem maybe— like there hasn't been much change today. I mean, his wife's is accountability and that can't be downplayed. Like your wife should be in accountability and hopefully grace is for him, but he doesn't really have other accountability in his life. It would seem that's, that should raise some warning. Flags.
3: The way Keith laid it out to me is just like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. And as he's saying, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, that's proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Um, okay. To finish the podcast, what caution can we give to people, to Christians, to leaders in the church about being quick and Keith, we'll start with you being quick to Condemn their leaders because they were a jerk or because they came down hard or because they took a hard line, like especially today's day and age, right? Just think politically. People have strong feelings. So if they come down hard in a line you may not agree with politically and they're pretty loud about it or whatever, you don't just automatically say, You're disqualified, abuse of power, you're out, right? So what what caution can you give to lay leaders in a church?
0: Well, I think there's a reason that we have church membership. And you walk through this in our membership class uh, for very good reason. As a part of that, you're making a covenant partnership agreement with your church and membership to fall under the submission of the eldership of the church. And if you are participating in that process and you're participating in the church and you're participating in the appointment of the, hopefully those very godly men who are overseeing that, you are entrusting yourself and your family and all of the aspects of what you contribute to a church to that process for good reason, which is that they're looking out for all of these things, that they're doing their job. Now, do elders fall down on the job and fail at it? Yes, we've seen evidence of that in all of these churches that we've talked about. We've seen failures of that in our own church over time. But by and large, <clears throat> we are we are holding to a biblical standard with our eldership that we're seeing hopefully played out in the maturity over time of our leaders. And, you know, as members, we should be watching that. We should be trusting that. And if we're seeing patterns develop over long periods of time that are destructive, we should be addressing that with the leadership. Throwing barbs at the pastor and gossiping about it and spreading misinformation is sinful. It's wrong. It's destructive to the bride of Christ. It should be condemned. It should be called out. And every member of the church who sees that behavior should be calling it out in one another as the sin that it is. If there is a humble approach to dealing with things that are concerns through the leadership of the church, you're going to end up with a healthier church for it.
1: What do you think, Adam? You don't have to agree with everything. I mean, what Thank God. What world is We're it? Sure it what, right. what do we live in right now? It's it's yeah. insane. Like if someone does something or says something you disagree with, it's like the end of some people's lives, like they can't handle it. We don't have to agree with everything. That's why I said I wouldn't go to his current church because I wouldn't go to a church that wasn't led by a plurality of elders. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to say he's disqualified or that he doesn't have good things to say that should be heeded and certainly didn't have throughout history. We don't have to agree with everything. You have to know what you believe. So that you can know what needs to be addressed. But also, don't throw barbs at your pastor, I would say. I mean, if there's a real issue, there are ways to go about that. One of my big struggles is like should they even do a podcast like this? I don't know the answer to that. I know. I was thinking about that too. Is it just like a hit piece? Is it jealousy? But
3: I think- I go back and forth. I think there's stuff to be learned and we all need to learn from it.
1: And that's where I have landed. I think it's worthwhile to some degree.
2: It feels a little cloak and dagger. I think if Christianity Today was just a little more open with, hey, we, we disagree with him on beliefs and some doctrinal issues. And so we're coming out from this position and these are alleged accusations instead of we're just taking them at face value. I think if it was a little more honest than that, way, the podcast could be beneficial. Yeah. That Then it's, it's kind of placing before people, hey, you can parse through this yourselves instead of just believe what we're telling you. Um, That's problematic. I will land where I like to land as a pastor, and that's on scripture and uh, a text that I read. So this is full disclosure. This is the second time we've recorded this podcast because we recorded the first one after like three episodes. And then the lady podcast came out from and so, many, so much other information. But First Timothy 5 is critically important when we talk about this, both publicly, like when you're attacking somebody like Driscoll or McDonald or Hybels, or within your own church as a Christian. Because like Keith and Adam have said, like there's just so many accusations that come today and people do not heed scripture. And so Paul says that elders who rule Welsh are deserving of, of honor, preaching, teaching elders of double honor in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17. And then in verse 19, he says, do not, and this is a main Do not even admit a charge against an elder pastor, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses like that's There's a process for this that's laid out by Paul in Scripture. There has to be two or three witnesses. So it needs to be substantiated, not matters of emotion or opinion. And as for those who persist in sin, meaning the pastors who persist in sin, rebuke them. So if you lay out an accusation and they repent, you don't rebuke them in the presence of all. But if, if they don't repent like a James McDonald or a Driscoll or whoever, then you rebuke them in the presence of all. But then it goes on to say this do nothing from prejudice. So basically, you need to look at who's who's making the accusations. Does Mike Cosper love Mark Driscoll and care deeply for his soul from all evidence? Or does he have an axe to grind with Mark Driscoll so he's raising up? the. Do people who have left Mars Hill, do? are they emotionally distraught over Driscoll? They feel hurt? They feel upset? You're doing the, the very opposite of what Paul's saying in 1 Timothy 5. You're taking the opinion of people who clearly have a prejudice against someone as factual. And so what it needs to be is somebody who actually cares for the person deeply cares. That doesn't just say they care, but deeply cares, loves the gospel, loves the kingdom, wants to see the kingdom of his man, doesn't just want retribution. And then you listen to that. And so I think Paul is very clear here. Our readers can read First Timothy chapter 5 when we talk about how Christians should respond to abusive leadership, toxic leadership, a pastor who's going off the rails, First Timothy 5 clearly gives us the biblical model to follow in dealing with that. We don't have to speculate as how to deal with that. There needs to be hard evidence, two or three witnesses, nothing from prejudice. And if there's a pattern of unrepentance, then after addressing it with that person and calling to repentance, substantiated clear sin, then you bring it public to light.
3: Right. And I think that's a good place to land. Just kind of gives everybody how to listen to this podcast, what kind of lens to listen to it through and kind of practically what you should do after.
2: Uh, Adam, thanks for being on, man. Thanks, man. It was a weird topic, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I appreciate it. Chief, always fun, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. till next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.